you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. If I had my druthers and didn't follow the lectionary, uh, I would preach from Matthew and Genesis. It's the three books I would preach from every Sunday because they're the uh, ones I've spent the most time with the story of. I could walk you through uh, Genesis right now without any notes. I could uh, walk you pretty well through Matthew without notes. And Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel's just Ezekiel, and it's just, I mean, it's got uh, all kinds of cool stuff. Um, but you would get pretty tired eventually of me preaching from these same three narratives. You would uh, begin to, to find that you're missing out on some of what you have understood to be the gospel. Uh, lots of preachers will, will choose these narrative stories uh, because they're easier to preach. It's easier for us to talk about a story, right? So Jesus went and did X, and so then the crowd felt Y, so that means we need to go do Z. Uh, gospel is narrative, Genesis, in some ways, is narrative, and, and Ezekiel has its own kind of narrative. Uh, Romans doesn't have a built-in narrative uh, when we come to it. Lots of pastors, my wife included, flees from preaching the epistles because they are a different type of literature. Uh, instead of narrative, they're prose discourse. Paul is using a particular rhetorical structure to try to make a point, and we have to figure out uh, how does that exist within what we know to be a real church who has their own story. And so we've been in Romans for about six weeks now, and uh, we've, we've found that uh, the story here is these Jewish Christians coming back from exile into Rome. Uh, they are few in number, and uh, they are uh, trying to find their place. And they're returning to a place where the Gentile Christians had achieved uh, masses and wealth and leadership. And, uh, and there's this new ongoing dynamic between the two where the, the powerful Gentiles uh, really held sway, but the, the weak Jews would say, well, we've known God longer. Uh, this God that we, we worship together uh, comes from our family story. And so they try to invite them into uh, to practicing the way they practice. You need to get circumcised and you need to eat kosher. And, and they have this ongoing debate. And Paul uh, is not writing just uh, prose for prose sakes. He's writing to a people and a story. And his, his invitation to them is, uh, before we talk about this behavior of law, Let's talk about who it is we worship together. This God that uh, you Gentiles worship and this God that you Jews worship are the same, is the same God. And this God loves you regardless of what you do. And he does this through the lens of the Abraham story. Before there was ever law, before Abraham had done anything, uh, he simply believed that God would do what God said he would do. And because of that, God credited that to Abraham as righteousness. And Paul used this as an ongoing uh, kind of story for them to look back to. They needed a story. They needed something to remind them of what the big deal was. And the big deal was uh, that God loved them regardless of behavior. And they got the first things first. And then Paul goes on to particularize this about this same God now loves you in Christ Jesus, that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. This, this becomes the way he now invites both groups into this story. That uh, while you had done nothing right, just like Abraham had done nothing right, in fact, while you were still sinners, God took 
on flesh as Jesus Christ and died for you. And then we get to last week's text, which started out with the, um, the kind of non-rhetorical question, uh, so should we keep on sinning? Eventually, Paul was going to get to behavior, right? There's something going on within the life of this church. And the invitation is to consider now how they understand sin in light of God's grace and in light of Jesus having done this very thing for them to set them free through his faithfulness. Uh, if you listen carefully as Brandy read today's text, you almost might have thought she was rereading last week's text. Paul is using a rhetorical structure to say the same thing uh, in two different versions. He has said it uh, last week, should we keep on sinning? May it never be so, and here's why. And then this week, uh, we get this next invitation. But grace abounds, so should we keep on sinning? And so he invites them back into their story. Uh, this God who declared Abraham as righteous, this God who took on flesh as Jesus, this God who was faithful even to the point of death, has done this great work so that you can be changed from the inside out. And now all you have to do is choose where you offer your lives. God's grace is before you. God's grace is in front of you. And now you have volition. God is not uh, making you follow this path or that path. Uh, the spiritual forces of evil are not making you choose this path or this path. Paul says you have a path to choose now. Now that God has done all this, you have a path to choose uh, last week, I introduced you to the, the modern version of the question Paul probably could have asked them, which is, in our ordination vows as United Methodists, we asked two questions. Uh, are you moving on to perfection, and do you expect to be made perfect in this life? Uh, this is a distinctive question of the people called Methodists, and it has gone through all of our iterations uh, from the, uh, the earliest American Methodists all the way up to today. We, we asked folks this uh, three weeks ago at ordination. Uh, and it's a distinctive uh, gift that we as Wesleyans have. Uh, and, and we draw this, uh, uh, the clarity of these questions, from our founder, John Wesley. If you uh, grew up in another tradition, you might hear us occasionally talk about Wesley, and you have no idea who he is. He was a Church of England clergy person who was fed up with a dead group of Christians, a group who had uh, no sense that the Spirit was uh, active in the world, a, a group who didn't care for those in the margins, a group who didn't take seriously those things they had vowed to do when they said, we trust you, God. And so he, within the church, uh, began to advocate for renewal and reform and, and did this through a small group movement, uh, went out from the churches to where people were, gathered them in uh, bands and classes and societies where you ask questions and, uh, and work together to discern the state of your spirit. John Wesley uh, was loyal to the Church of England for the rest of his life, um, but he saw the need uh, for that church to be reformed. And that reformation uh, was against, um, against general laziness, against um, a decision to be apathetic about their faith. Y'all are showing up and you're, you're doing the works uh, that seem to, to make you a Christian, but, but nothing has changed in you. And he had a particular doctrine that he spent his whole life working on. And this is the doctrine of Christian perfection, uh, which we would talk about being entire sanctification. And, and if you read uh, Wesley, who's a pastor to churches, right? Wesley is not a systematic theologian writing at the end of his career. He's writing... Uh, Notes, it's kind of like Friday emails to his, his congregation, right? He's, he's uh, 
talking to them as their pastor. And early in his career, he has one view of Christian perfection, one view of sanctification. And then towards the end of his career, he has refined this view. And this week, I have found a a one-sentence quote from John Wesley, which I think encapsulates this whole text that Brandy read to us today. Can I get that on the screen, Gabe? May, oh, yeah, okay. So by perfection, I mean the humble, patient love of God in our neighbor, ruling words and actions. I do not contend for the term sinless, though, uh, though I do not object to it. I do not include at part or in whole. Therefore, I retract several expressions in our hymns which partly express not contend with the term though I do not object against it. Uh, somehow in, in a uh, brief uh, writing on the doctrine of Christian perfection from his book, uh, A Plain Account of Christian Perfection, uh, he uh, is in many ways uh, expounding on today's text. So should you be, uh, should you sin because grace abounds or should you not sin? Should you present yourself as slaves to righteousness or slaves to sin? And if you're presenting yourself to righteousness, what does that look like? And uh, I think the start of this quote is uh, profoundly important for us to understand what perfection looks like for us. Um, we have a different de- definition of perfection in our society, right? It's about our, our behaviors amongst uh, the norms of society. Sociologists will stu- study and tell us uh, people who fit within the norms and the mores of society and, and who would, uh, by some accounts, be considered perfect. Uh, we uh, hear the word perfect and we think flawless and uh, uh, totally impeccable, right? Right? Uh, For Wesley, this was entirely about a perfection of our heart. And uh, and the way it's framed here in the late part of his career uh, lets us all not be, does not let any of us off the hook, right? Uh, He talks about that it's a growing love of God and neighbor that is reflected in our hearts, so our thoughts, our words, and our actions. We can fake holiness with our behaviors sometimes, right? We can act the way we think the church wants us to act. We can even uh, talk the way the church wants us to talk, right? We can uh, not be uh, angry with each other. We can choose uh, our words carefully, and yet our inward disposition, the thoughts, the tempers of our body, of our mind, are still wrecked with sin. And Wesley's invitation is that all that is transformed by the work of God's grace in our hearts. So when we ask, are you going on to perfection, it's not, uh, are you uh, the perfect model, but instead is God transforming your heart in ways that your tempers, your words, and your actions all reflect this. Are you going on to perfection? Can you see this movement in your life? Um, I wish it just stopped there, right? I wish Paul was just like, Here's, here's how it goes. This should be perfect. And I wish John Wesley could just say, uh, just be perfect, and once you decide to, you're always going to be perfect, right? But clearly there is something going on with Paul that is picked up in Wesley. For Paul, if this church had already begun their sanctifying work, he wouldn't need to write this if it lasted forever. If the second you learned about Jesus and the Spirit entered your heart, you began to get sanctified, we, we wouldn't need any more sermons, would we? You would get there, and the church would just be great until the next generation was born. But both Paul and Wesley acknowledged that you actually can go backwards. 
And so in this, Paul is talking to a group who has been down a sanctification journey and is sliding backwards in it. He's, there's something happening in this church, largely within the hearts of those who are com, uh, kind of combating against each other, that uh, is moving them backwards in their holiness. And so he's re-inviting them to continually engage in this grace-filled journey. This is why in the middle he says, uh, I used to think that once you were saved, you're always saved. That's just not the case. Once you're moving forward in holiness, you're not. We wrote some songs like this. This is literally in his, in his words. Uh, we wrote some songs and poems that suggest that you could never go backwards. We were wrong. Uh, so, so present yourselves as slaves to righteousness. And then the final quote um, oh, I didn't go to the, the, the last quote, Gabe, the last one. And I do not contend for the term sinless, though I do not object against it. For me, is Wesley's acknowledgement that today's text is hard. Uh, seemingly, Paul says we are going to be sinless. There will be no more sin in our life if we are slaves to righteousness, and the, the rewards of righteousness is holiness. But we've been around the church long enough, Right? We know that sin still remains at places, right? Even amongst the holy folks of Andover, whom I love dearly, sin still creeps in, correct? You don't have to nod real big because that can feel uncomfortable, but sin uh, remains. And so Wesley spent much of his career trying to understand what Paul was doing. And he started early in his career saying, uh, you will never sin, not a single time, not a bit, not anything at all. If you sinned at all, you never really were sanctified. Uh, but that as he lives with these people in this church for the rest of his career, by the end, by the time he is putting it all together, he has changed his doctrine very significantly. It has moved from a focus on not sinning to a focus on God's transformation of our hearts. And so by the end, Wesley is going to ask questions like, uh, are you willfully sinning? Have you done the things you should not do? Have you not done the things you know you should do? Getting at this question of, is your heart transformed? Recognizing that uh, there are going to be unintentional moments of sin in your life. Sin has been defeated, but yet we have not reached new creation. Uh, our hearts are transformed, and yet uh, sin still lurks everywhere. And so Wesley is now inviting us uh, to reflect particularly at this end on what it does mean to be sinless. And the invitation in our tradition, and I believe a beautiful gift, is to consider the state of your heart. I bet if you think real hard in the last week, you have done something you shouldn't have, or not done something you should have. But I bet for many of you, uh, that was not intentional, right? You didn't think, all right, I'm going to do this terrible thing this week, or I'm definitely not doing that good thing, forget that. That, to me, is the, the ongoing examination of our heart that uh, Wesley has given us, is to ask this question, compared to a year ago, compared to two years ago, uh, am I willfully sinning? Am I making myself available as a slave to sin? Or is God transforming me and giving me this gift of righteousness where I am becoming a slave to God? If we ask those questions, then I think we can get closer to a more comfortable answer for this last slide. This is not just an ordination question. Uh, we don't have a, uh, a hierarchy that thinks that those who are called to vocational ministry are called to a different level of holiness than anybody in this room. Uh, this question is uh, for you. 
Um, and I know it feels weird, but uh, if your answer is not yes to both of these, uh, I'd love to journey with you. I'd love us to find a group to get together. I'd love to introduce you to a deep spiritual friend. I'd love uh, to be at the place where a year from now, every one of us is saying, yes, I am going on to perfection, and I expect to be made perfect in this life. That second question is the real kicker, right? If you don't have that one, you can be like, yep, the moment I die, I'm going to be totally perfect. Glorification, hot dog. But this one uh, kind of forces our feet to the fire, yes? Do you expect to be made perfect in this life? I sure do, and I think a lot of you do. Amen? Let's pray. Holy and loving God, we give thanks. That is indeed uh, your love for us uh, that allows us to be transformed. That when our love failed, your love remained steadfast. That while we were yet sinners, uh, you died for us. We give thanks that you are at work through your Holy Spirit, uh, transforming our hearts and just simply asking us how we present ourselves to you. We give thanks that your grace is abundant and ever-present, that we don't have to... uh, to go to a particular place to experience your love or do a particular act, that instead you simply love us and are faithful to us. God, where we are not uh, growing in holiness, would you work deeply in our hearts? Those, uh, those favorite sins that we're afraid to let go of, Lord, in your mercy, help us. Help us uh, to... In your grace, love others so deeply to love you more fully that uh, literally our lives become uh, more clearly a witness to your love in the world. Lord, help us answer yes. Lord, pour out your grace upon the people of Andover and the people of First United Methodist Church that we might be uh, growing in love of you and prepared for the mighty work to which you've called us. I pray all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us and by the power of your Holy Spirit, who moves in our very midst today. Amen and amen.